Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory's Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Mr. Doug Battle. Doug, we're, what, two weeks away from the NFL, so a week away from college football? Yep, that's right. So this is almost, I feel like the world's full of kind of small stories, though. I mean, oddly, one of the biggest stories in the world is a, you know, the Spanish women's soccer team and a kiss of one of the players that has now blown up into... The soccer, the president of the soccer federation has been suspended for 90 days. There's obviously effort and interest in firing him. And his mother is now starting a hunger strike in protest or in support of her son. And so here, I'm going to give free marketing advice. And I know this advice is not wanted and will be barely tolerated because some things are bigger than marketing. But... You know, at some point, this stuff has got to be about the sport, and it can't be relentlessly about people using their platform to protest injustices. And I I mean, it it really does damage. And and I think people, a lot of folks would say it's worthwhile to damage the, the sports, but it does damage this stuff to the point where it just gets tiresome after a while. I mean, I saw the kiss in the protest and, and, and it's dangerous, right? Because it, you're clearly only allowed to have one opinion about the nature of the kiss, that it was unwanted. It's a serious infraction and they must investigate it, but they're not building fandom. Yeah. There's the prosecution now. The headlines are, you know, that the Spanish soccer president kissed a player without consent. The New York Times headline is Spain Soccer Federation forces reckoning with sexism. CNN's headline is the unwanted kiss that exposed the endurance of Spain's macho culture. I mean, it sounds like (laughs) it sounds like the story here is that this isn't a one off thing, but rather a revelation of a a bigger issue. I think the thing is, we we will never know if it's revelations about a bigger issue or something that just blew up and became a bigger issue you know the the soccer tournament is fine but how much of the the soccer tournament the women's fifa soccer tournament is about soccer and how much of it is about equal pay protests and now non-consensual kisses it really kind of makes you question it's like at some point they've got to clean this up from one direction or the other and make this about something that's actually interesting on the pitch 
Did the player, Jennifer Hermosa, did she ever come out and say anything yeah, as far as, you know, does she feel like a victim here? Yes, she seems to okay. feel like a victim at this point. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, poor judgment in today's climate by the the president of the Spanish Soccer Federation. That's, I don't well, know like, what else to say. About- like, dude, what are you thinking? <laughs> Well, okay. And, and you know, like, I think we all grew up with like this notion. And again, this is what makes this stuff so tough. We always grew up with this notion of like, oh, the Spanish and the Italians, they're kissers, right? They kiss everybody. Yeah, well, sure. Maybe they used to kiss everybody, but the rules have changed. And this guy did not get the memo that the rules had changed. Right. Yeah. I always, I didn't know that was a Spanish thing. I always like had some Italian friends. That's how they would greet people. And it always freaked me out as a kid. <laughs> I would have felt like a victim. So like, I feel your victimhood, Jennifer Hermoso. Let's make this more abstract. If I mention any kind of woman's sports, how close are we to a social issue? What are the connections in your mind? Like if I said the Brittany w- Griner, okay, um, is like the first story that popped in my head, followed by like Reg- Megan Rapinoe. I'm trying to think of a sport where that's like absent of all of that. Yeah, I was even thinking, I was trying to think of it as like women's tennis, and then you get to like, yeah. volleyball. I was thinking Simone Biles, again, so it's kind of mental Yeah, gymnastics, health. yeah. Volleyball, I don't think volleyball. they get enough city for me to know. Swimming, some of these summer Olympic sports. Okay, swimming, then I think, I think I know Katie Ledecky, and I know the, who was the, the trans athlete that Oh, swam. right, there you go. Yeah, I don't know the name, but... Yeah, uh, it seems like we're a half step away from politics and social issues on anything related to, you know, that that's most of their headlines have that just a little bit in the background. And it's, it's I think it's long term, it's brutal in terms of them actually developing real fandom and, and enthusiasm. And the sad thing is you go back a generation, Mia Hamm, I think was Gatorade commercial, legitimate fans. Um, Lisa Leslie. Lisa Leslie, Chris Everett on the tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it didn't I mean, need to tennis. Be this. Serena Williams and Venus Williams and Sharapova. Uh, I yeah. never associated any of that with this stuff. But on the flip side, Mike, it might just be reflective of sports as a whole. Like one of the headlines this week is that the NFL has removed the end racism slogan that's been painted in all the end zones since 2020, I believe. So men's sports like the NFL, obviously the NBA has had their kneeling as the NFL did. They had their, obviously they wear pregame warmups that have statements on them. The football helmets would have little social issue statements on the back of the helmet in recent years. I mean, it's, it's kind of just sports as a whole. You're right. But I would still maintain that when I think about the NFL, I think about. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. And it's not the second, and even in the women's sports, if it's not the first, it's the second thing that comes to mind, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they've got a little bit, and on top of it, right, the NFL's got 100 or 150 million fans that have been fans of this for decades, for their whole lives, right? So the fandom is broader, it's stronger, and the social... And again, I don't even know what you want to use. You know, Fox News would call it the the, the wokeism or the social justice. This stuff is all... Yeah, I, I mean, you, I think you get where I'm coming from. It's not a healthy situation for these sports in terms of developing, you know, that kind of that core fandom that's going to actually care about the athletes year in and year out. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd be, I would be curious to see the numbers, and I'm sure your report will tie into this, but just the numbers on men's sports and women's sports and the trajectory that the individual leagues are on in correlation to their activism or lack thereof. Because it, it does seem like the sentiment is that, you know, staying out of things is probably a good move as far as like creating a universally accepted product. But, but it no, would be I would be curious to see it. Like, are they creating fans through this with like the real, you know, the people that align with what they're doing? I think there's a theory that they are right. Yeah, that they look at it and they go Gen Z is all about social justice, right. so we need to position ourselves for social like, justice. Like, the, has the NBA like seen an increase in fans under the age of twenty? You know, in the last since 2020. Man, I mean, like, and what I was saying is, you know. The, the, there's a theory, right? And, you know, the Dodgers, I think, made a lot of news this summer in terms of doing more LGBTQ stuff. and At the and games, yeah. I think it kind of, it's always met with some resistance. Is it actually growing fandom in that smaller group? I can tell you, especially in that lower half of Gen Z, no one is growing fandom. Fandom is dropping off a cliff with the exception of soccer. And I don't know exactly where that's coming from. I haven't done a racial breakdown on that. It may well be that soccer, you know, the younger half of Generation Z is so multicultural and there's so many folks from immigrant backgrounds that they may be, that may be actually the thing that's causing soccer to, to increase in popularity while all the mainstream, sort of the big three American sports, like I said, in the second half of Gen Z, interest is plummeting across the board down like five six points for every one of the sports yeah i've seen kind of like in the entertainment world i've seen a little bit of a working strategy i guess like the barbie movie is a great example at least a lot of audiences received it as being one-sided and yet it broke records in in the box office and it's been a historic success and even like this week watching Ahsoka on Disney Plus, the new Star Wars show that debuted. And I watched it and my like I'm kind of old school. I thought it was totally dry and I, I couldn't see how anyone could watch the same show and, and walk away thinking it was great. I go on Rotten Tomatoes, crushing it with both the critic scores and audience scores. And I go on Twitter and people are defending every single move it's like once i i think there is this allegiance that comes when you align with something as far as the values of the people making the product where people get where they will defend anything i mean we had i mean over explanations on twitter of why it actually was a good idea to have for the fifth time in the last couple of years a character stabbed through the abdomen uh with a lightsaber and survive even though a key character and the and you know the prequel movies died that way, and people trying to explain these artistic decisions or creative decisions or even plot holes, explain them away because they can't accept that there's any flaw in this because they are so, you know, they're so fanatical about the product and about the the brand. And so I, I am curious too if that kind of allegiance it's the same kind of allegiance you see in politics and with so many political overlaps. I am curious well, how much that plays too, a part, right? That kind of devotion or allegiance. I mean. Yeah. In the middle of SEC college football territory, I, I, I mean, European soccer, I'm sure, even goes beyond. But, yeah, I, I, you know, Doug, I start to question how real a lot of that kind of stuff is. Yeah, sure. In terms of the 
Like, I, th- I think it's a real, it's a legitimate question as to, you know, you look on something like Rotten Tomatoes and you look at like the audience scores mm-hmm. and then you can occasionally go to, you know, <clears throat> YouTube comment sections or Instagram comment sections or right. Twitter. And uh, there's clearly a very different situation happening. And so I honestly, I I don't know. I I think we're definitely in an era where the data has become, the publicly available data has become suspect, right? It's, uh, you know, and we've talked about some specific cases. Remember when the Lord of the Rings, sorry, the Rings of Power trailer came out during the Super Bowl? And And I assume it's the Tolkien fans are the ones that are most interested in jumping in immediately. They just I'll, I'll never forget right? the Super Without Bowl without having party it, I again, it was, and so I'm just like, this can't be. No, please don't say it's it's not Lord of the Rings, is it? And then at the end when they did the unveiling, you know, Rings of Power, and <laughs> the entire room, everyone goes, no. <laughs> and let me let me ask you this. So I watch the new Star Wars properties as they come out, and I do that for you. Okay, that, right. that's my you know. I watched the first two episodes of, and how do you say the young woman's name? I have no idea why I was watching it. It made no impact on me whatsoever. Um, I think I texted you while I was watching it. Is that her hair or are those some sort of tentacles coming out of her, her head? I, I don't know. Is it a hat? It's kind of a mixture. It's a mixture of the two, I think. So I, um, I think we, but, I'll tell you, I watched something else, and this is sort of unreal. Semi-related because we're talking about Disney. I watched the Eternals on Disney, which is one of these Marvel third-generation right. movies. It just looks like it's made by a committee in terms of the diversity. There was even a Bollywood scene where the Indian superhero was doing a Bollywood dance within that movie. I think I looked it up, and that movie made I think you know, and Hollywood accounting is a funny thing. I think they, it, they spent about $280 million, made about $400 million. I think in Hollywood terms, that's a relative failure. But <clears throat> I, I watch all of these properties. It's tough because you don't want to seem like you're jaded, but it doesn't seem like they're, with any of these things that they're trying to create content that's actually likable and is going to sort of stick around for multiple generations. I mean, it, it's too early to say. And and I think what Hayden Christensen's going to show up in this movie, Asuka. Right? I've heard that. And I think that's what like on the Obi-Wan show that kind of kept fans subscribing, wanting to see what would happen. It's just a little bit of fan service, but it, it doesn't, well, unless- in my opinion, the fan service, because that fan service is like Marvel and Star Wars. That's kind of their bread and butter at this point. Okay. And- I have no idea about the continuity at this point, right? So they've totally, you know, the Disney, the expansion of the Star Wars universe has left me completely confused as to, you know, is the Mandalorian always going to show up? And when does the Mandalorian take place after Yoda? Or is baby Yoda? Or baby Yoda or regular Yoda. I honestly have no idea. And so I think one of the things they've also done is there are so many characters that it's almost – even someone that makes an effort to watch most of it, unless you're a hardcore fan, it's mm. impenetrable. I, I don't think anyone has any idea what's going on unless you are Mr. Doug Battle and you are full-on Star Wars geeking out, right? Yeah, I mean I think it went from being a 
mass product. I think an article by, I think it was Esquire about this, about how, it, you know, the original Star Wars films, anybody could walk in there and turn it on. And there's a story and you're just watching a story unfold and it's good versus evil. And there's like a clear protagonist, antagonist. And you kind of felt like part of it, even though you didn't have all this backstory. And now it's at a place where it's in order to watch this show, you have to have watched eight seasons of this animated children's show. And then prior to that, seven seasons of this other animated children's show. And then also it would have helped to have watched the book of Boba Fett all the way through, as well as all three seasons of the Mandalorian, in addition to all nine movies. And so your audience gets a lot smaller as you go. And then at that point, there's quite a bit of people who have seen all that, that are capable of understanding where the story is, but aren't particularly happy about the direction they're going with it. And I think Marvel made that same move. I think it's I think it's kind of like an Apple move to create an ecosystem where it's like, oh, once you have an iPhone, you know, it's probably in your best interest to have a MacBook and then you probably won't have an iWatch and an iPad. Like it, when everything works together that way, everything's kind of like selling the other product, uh, but it becomes a lot less of a universal product when it's based on some very some shows that are rooted in niche audiences, niche fandoms. And then not going back and really explaining the backstory. So it's an interesting strategy. I'm not a fan of anything they've done. Could they? That's my personal. Could they put a year at the beginning of each of these properties? Because, like I said, I have no idea. Am I watching stuff in the past? Am I watching stuff in the future? Okay, in part two, we're a little bit out in the a little bit out from the NFL season, but you know the NFL never disappoints. My favorite move of the offseason so far, and again, you're not going to be shocked. It's going to be quarterback related. Jerry Jones trading for Trey Lance for a fourth round pick with, I think, Dak Prescott has, you know, a year or two years left on his contract. It is a, and of course, he does it without consulting Prescott. So there's a little bit of a controversy that the franchise quarterback feels left out of the loop. <laughs> But to me, this is the realities of the quarterback market. I think if you're Jerry Jones, you want to win Super Bowls, Dak Prescott has revealed himself to be a kind of the guy that's probably not going to get you there, right? He's a good quarterback. He's going to get you to the playoffs on a regular basis. Does not appear he's going to get you a Super Bowl. Certainly doesn't appear that he's going to be a guy that brings you home, you know, three, four, five Super Bowls, which is clearly what Jerry Jones wants. And so – Given the way salaries work, this is potentially getting an elite talent for a low price. And, you know, who knows? Prescott gets a little bit injured, has a little bit of a stumble. You put Trey Lance in there, even if Trey Lance is not as good as Dak Prescott, you've solved yourself a salary problem. So to me, this is a great story and... Yeah, I think you just sort of to really understand what's going on, you got to think about how NFL quarterback salaries work. Yeah, my favorite part of this story, Mike, is that immediately after the acquisition, Will Greer goes out for the Dallas Cowboys in his last preseason game with them, which essentially my understanding is that it was a tryout for him to get picked up by another team and plays better than Trey Lance has ever played in any game I've seen him play. And if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm watching there and I start to get a little bit nervous about, you know, did we just trade a fourth round pick for a bust and let a 
I don't know when Will Greer was drafted, but probably about the fourth round. You know, let a under the radar quarterback slip away to a team, and why are we going to see him become the quarterback we've always needed somewhere else? I'm not predicting that, but Cowboys fans have to be a little bit anxious about <laughs> Will Greer after his performance in the trade and the fact that Trey Lance simply not only was he not competing with Brock Purdy for the starting spot in San Francisco, he was losing he the backup spot. He lost out to Sam Darnold. To Sam Darnold, another bust. So when you're in year, what, year three, and you can't beat out Sam Darnold, who's a... Okay, here's a question for you. Definite bust. If Trey Lance is a bust, how come Justin Fields at 5-20 and taking, what, seven, eight picks after Trey Lance? Yeah, I believe so. Is still a promising up-and-comer. Because my Justin Fields has played football games and he's five and twenty, Doug. Five and twenty. It's been his growing pains. Trevor Lawrence had his growing pains. Fields have lasted a little bit longer. But Fields has also, unlike Trey Lance, shown there have been moments in his career where he looks like Cam Newton. And I mean, I know the tra- the the Justin Fields haters don't want to admit it, but there is if you're a Bears fan and you see some of the things Fields has done, you feel like, okay, if we – you look at what's going on with Jalen Hurts and where he was at this point in his career over in Philadelphia, and you feel like we still could have a top five, top ten quarterback if he keeps doing some of the good things and grows from some of the bad things. Could have a Jalen Hurts plus on our hands in Chicago. And so <laughs> I think that's where the fans are at. I think that's the hopium that they're okay, – so- the hope, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's go back to that quarterback class. Trevor Lawrence looks very promising. Trey Lance seems to be the first bust of that group. And I want to go in, I forget the exact order that they were picked in. Justin Fields, sort of on the, I guess on the hot seat, but still a lot of supporters. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mac Jones looks to be a journeyman, but maybe a little bit on the hot seat. Was there another guy in that group as well? Those were the was big. Just the those were the big four. That was the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, but okay. And so for this year's class, C.J. Stroud is going to start. Anthony Richardson is going to start. I'm assuming Bryce Young is going to yeah, start for sure. Uh, I don't believe our guy out of the universe, the the mayonnaise banana, ban- eating bananas with a peel on. Uh, and so you know, so we've got three starters. I don't think will. I think Will Levis is going to sit and watch for the Tennessee Titans. Where do you think? Uh, I mean, do you even want to hazard a guess as to where the busts are going to come from that group? And is it being kind to include Will Levis in that group? It's being a little kind to include a second round pick who eats bananas with the peel. I think I still am, as far as the guys who have played well, you know, Aiden O'Connell and in Oakland. You're like a deep guy. Yeah, there's this guy, his last name's Ayler up in Seattle. He looked like Tebow, like good Tebow in his first game that I saw. Of course, DTR over in Cleveland, like the guys who have actually had success on the field in the preseason okay. or the later picks. Let's, let's, let's neglect them. I mean, the, the guys that have gotten the hype. Right. You know, the crowds, the Youngs, like I said, uh, the, the Anthony Richardson. Richardson is – And I and look, I, I started this by talking about that previous generational quarterback class, right, mm-hmm. that – Looks shaky at this point, right? There may be one bona fide 
NFL All-Pro type player, right? There, there may be one out of that whole group. I don't know if, having watched Bryce Young play, I don't know if he's ever going to get a chance in Carolina to survive. I mean, if he can stay in one piece after this season, I think that's a win. Much like you know, Joe Burrow's first year had an injury. You know, Trevor Lawrence made it through year one. Bad stats, stayed in one piece, you know, started building some pieces around him after that. It almost feels like C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are in that position. Richardson, I haven't personally watched his games. I've seen the highlights. And it's funny when they show his highlights because they get all excited. They say, look at this laser he threw. And they'll they'll show one pass. And then they'll show one run where he kind of looks like Cam Newton, runs the ball for 20 yards, you know, goes out of bounds, is all excited. And they'll talk about him like, you know, he's really starting to come on. And then they'll show his stat line and it'll be like four for 17 for 32 yards. And it's like, we just saw every good thing he did on, <laughs> on ESPN, but none of the lowlights. And so he's the one that is the biggest boomer bust, as we all know. But Young, to me, has been, for his size, and he's a crafty player, I'm concerned about his longevity in the league, the way he's built, and then the team that he's on, the fact that he doesn't have an offensive line. That's a really bad formula, I think. So he's the one that I think might get labeled a bust early. I don't think that being labeled a bust necessarily is an indicator of you as a player as much as like the player and the situation combined. And that's the situation I'm just least optimistic about this year. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it is, you know, one of the other things that's happened in this preseason, and again, I'm on record. I don't really want to talk about preseason because preseason is always about, let's put a story out there, a narrative out there and kind of play with it. And then we can throw it away. Late. We can throw it away next week, right? right? It's just, it's kind of cheap talk stuff. Jordan Love seems to be very much a name and it's kind of fascinating right so a guy that did not get to play for three years trey lance is basically out of you know he's on his second chance right justin fields the seat is getting hot jordan love is getting every bit of that promising first year first round pick quarterback you know hype I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. You watch some of the shows, and sometimes you think the two most promising quarterbacks going into this year are Aaron Rodgers for the Jets and the guy that replaced him for the Packers, Jordan Love. Mm. And again, it, I think it goes more to say about how the preseason works. Sure. But Will Levis could be the big winner in all this. I think so. I think getting to watch for a couple of years. I don't know if he has the same ceiling as Jordan Love. Um, and we'll see how Jordan Love pans out. But I do think that. The quarterbacks who have the luxury of developing in practice and in preseason and watching games from the sideline, holding a clipboard and, and putting on a headset rather than getting thrown to the wolves are the ones that have the biggest advantage as far as day one. You know, when Levis plays his first game, he's going to be in a lot better position than Bryce Young, I think, or than CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson, particularly as a guy who with his ceiling, you know, might be a great player to develop over a couple of years. And I mean, he's a raw prospect in the same way that Jordan Love was viewed, the same way I think Trey Lance was viewed that way. Uh, I just don't think he's developed how, how folks have hoped he would. And part of that is due to injury. But nonetheless, you know, I do think that quarterbacks who get to sit on the sideline for a little bit are actually incredibly privileged. I think that Patrick Mahomes is the perfect example of that. Aaron Rodgers, another example of that. And now we're seeing 
Jordan Love. And again, that's been in Green Bay. That's been their formula for a while. I mean, I don't think it's an, any accident that they keep doing this with Brett Favre and Rodgers on the sideline. And then Love's been on the sideline for Rodgers. And now he's getting his time to shine. I'm sure they'll draft another first round quarterback in three or four years, assuming Love's still the starter at that point. And we'll see what again what happens with him, but and Jordan Love at that point will be upset at the organization, right, right, right. and it'll and then he'll get, he'll demand a trade to the Jets because that's what Brett Favre did, and that's what that's what Aaron Rodgers did. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think Levis, and like I said, I think some of these later round guys like O'Connell, who's going to be backing up Garoppolo in Las Vegas. Or DTR, who's backing up Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, almost feel like long term, those guys are better positioned to have a good career than CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson. We'll see what happens. But again, it seems like a good situation for those guys. Okay, totally changing the topic, going back to something marketing oriented. And I'm not sure that you saw this. I sent it over to you. So last year, the NFL had a. I don't even know what you call it, right? So you had some players talking about how the, the league was actually scripted, right? You remember that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. And the NFL responded by getting, as a you know, comedian, Key, right? Mm-hmm. I just remember the yeah. Key and so Key, and essentially doing a takeoff on this. And I was thinking this is an interesting thing. I don't actually know what to make of it. I think the work product was very good. He's an amusing, he's an amusing guy. They went all out. They have Patrick Mahomes in the ad. But Doug, you know, what do you think as more of a, you know, you're right in the borderline between millennial and Gen Z. So let's say you're Gen Z more. Let's say you're more relevant. What do you think when big organizations do something that becomes kind of social media viral or kind of meme worthy? What do you think when they try and lean into it and own it? Do you think that ever works for the big organization? I'm trying to think because the, the first like example I thought of, which isn't necessarily a big organization, but was the TV show Sherlock on BBC. <laughs> they used to always end their seasons on cliffhangers. And the fans would come up with all kinds of theories about what happened to the character and how he pulled it off. You wouldn't find out to the next season. But sure enough, in that first episode of the next season, they would play off of all of those theories and how they wrote the script. So they were like interacting with the fans in that way, which I thought was brilliant. And I felt like with the NFL, this was kind of that where they saw fans think that this is scripted and they have this whole meme about the script and what's next on the script. So let's just go with that. And so, you know, it's clever. I will say as far as NFL commercials or advertisements, this is the first one I've had. Multiple people texted me with this thinking it was, uh, you know, they got a kick out of it. I guess mostly millennials. But I'm trying to think of other examples of where it was owned, though, like this, like by a big corporation. That was, I mean, so as a marketing theorist, my initial take is like kind of an organization like the NFL trying to lean into essentially social media and sort of the, you know, the stuff that happens organically out there strikes me as a mistake. But it's like, this is pretty good. You know, they're playing off of it. I don't know how serious the story was or how much legs kind of the idea that it was scripted have. Whoever the player was that originally came out and said, oh, it's all scripted. You, I mean, you got to love that guy. But he is, I don't think he really built any lasting <laughs> fame from it. Um, he's kind of been he's kind of been pushed off the, the screen here. But it was amusing. And so I, I think, it, and, and look, lighthearted fun. 
I mean, I guess this all comes full circle to some of the stuff we're talking about with the Spanish national team and the U.S. women's national soccer team and some of the WNBA athletes. That's good stuff. I mean, in, in terms of actually being something that people can – something that they can actually enjoy on top of the sports. Yeah. And I think you used the word meme worthy earlier. I think that this is something that'll be ongoing during the season. Whenever anything crazy happens, you know, people will be putting captions on screenshots from that ad and saying, you know, like that this is what they had scripted in that meeting, particularly if it's the actual players. Like, I mean, heaven forbid, but let's say Patrick Mahomes were to get hurt this year and then people would be pointing to that ad and saying, you know, they, they wrote him out of the script. <laughs> and yeah. so, I, you know, that's how I foresee it. It's going to take on a life of its own. I think it's smart. I think, it again, it makes fans feel like the NFL as an organization is interacting with us because we've been joking about it being scripted for the whole offseason and now they're participating. And so it feels like a relationship now. And I think that's what the NFL wants. And I think I think they understand that. And so, you know, I guess I could see it going wrong if you owned the wrong meme as a brand and tried to take ownership of it. And well, I'm sure that's happened. I mean, if the ad you do in response to the meme is bad, then you're just then you've just kind of clowned yourself, right? You you've created the second meme. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But again, it was good. So, and I had multiple people send it to me. So it's had a viral, it became a meme of its own and it it has had a viral effect and it's all over television right now. And of course, awareness of the NFL season is at an all time high, partially as a result. Doug, this is a very scattered episode because (laughs) talking about memes, the next thing that popped in, you know, that they got a meme out of last week, right? So, Donald Trump oh, gosh, flies yeah. down to Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And 10 SUVs, 50 motorcycle cops. They go down to the Fulton County Jail. It was, by the way, people were lined up. It reminded me of like when a team comes home from a championship in sports and all the fans are lined up to the buses are coming in and everybody's got their signs and. You know, they're thanking the players for all that they did. That's what the videos I was seeing. It looked like that in the Fulton County area where you had both sides of the street lined up. uh, People decked out in gear. Their cars are decked out. Just a full on parade for a guy (laughs) to to turn himself into prison. Yeah. And take a mug shot. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, no one's uh, again. Right. It's like the the political environment is such that there's so much anger and so much defense yeah so yeah. it's gr- it's a great fandom story right the utter devotion versus the utter hatred but I, they asked him his height and weight he said 63 215 and i think within half an hour i saw pictures of lamar jackson with the captain being this is what 63 215 looks like Trump's been in the weight room this offseason, um, getting ready for football season. I saw a like NBA scouting report Twitter account or X account, I guess what we call it now. That by the way, when you change a name of something like Twitter, it doesn't really work for me. <laughs> like, like like it's like the staple center being the crypto.com arena. It's like everyone's always gonna call it staple center. Everyone's what do you call it? Like when you tweet something out, do you exit out now? Is that like the term? Like what's the term? Do you tweet something on X? Are they abandoning the verbiage? All discussion is good discussion, I guess is the theory. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, anyway. I think 
Side note, but but Trump's NBA player comparison was Lou Dort, and they had a side by side of their images and different physiques. But uh, yeah, that it became a sports meme. Obviously, politics. I saw one of he was making the same face as Zoolander <laughs> from Ben Stiller and Zoolander. So that that became a meme. You know, just the whole thing. And of course, the former president is back on Twitter slash X now where he previously was kicked off, started his own social network to be able to have a platform, new ownership of Twitter. Uh, I think Elon Musk found it in his best interest to have a figure like that on the platform and to compete with the debate or to try to overshadow the debate, an exclusive interview with Tucker Carlson and the former president on X. I don't know if that was during the debate or immediately after or before. I'm not sure. I know the aim was to make it look like the debate was a undercard for the real match. And speaking of things that are orange and have massive fan bases, the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, first off, I saw that they have a water tower in Iraq. I don't know if that's accurate or not but it's all over the internet of this random water tower in the middle east that has the tennessee logo on it and it's completely painted orange and mike last year we felt like tennessee was back i think that was one of the joys of the early part of the season last year watching that fan base reignite a sleeping giant mm-hmm. and they've goal post in the river post in the river checkered overalls Security guy dancing with the cheerleaders. Yeah, you yeah. got the Rocky Top dances and songs. And I mean, beating Alabama, of course, was the cherry on top. And this year they're going to be playing in Tuscaloosa. They're playing Georgia at home, which I feel like to that fan base is their this year's Alabama game. Having a home game where you have a chance to unseat the top dog, if you will. So that's a fan base that's fired up. And I love what their social media did. They did a hype video like all the teams are doing right now, except most teams are doing it with their players and coaches. The Tennessee Volunteers did a hype video for their equipment managers and water boys. Slow motion, epic music playing, guys doing their jobs. And so, again, they already are doing something different this year as a fan base, separating themselves from the pack. And college football starts this week, Mike. I am absolutely ecstatic about it. I know a lot of people who are maybe not as many marquee matchups in week one as we're used to, but we got to remember this time last year, we had Appalachian State, you know, in the headlines for three weeks straight. And we had Tennessee coming onto the scene and you've got new quarterbacks this year at Alabama and at Georgia and at Ohio State. And there's going to be new Heisman front runners in the next couple of weeks. And so I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see my favorite part again of college football is the fans and you know, Tennessee being a, a really great example of that. But again, last year, this time, Appalachian State, some of these smaller schools with a chance to make some noise while there aren't as many marquee matchups or while everything's technically wide open and everybody's undefeated. And so I'm excited for the beginning of college football season going into this week. And I had to share that. I'm particularly interested in following this Tennessee fan base as the season goes on, as I expect more of the same of what we got last year. Well, I think you've... Whoever's at Tennessee is smart. Yeah. And, and again, look, I, I grew up in Chicago and saying someone from Tennessee is smart, uh, you know, there's biases, big, large, big biases against the South. You know, sure. Well, I mean, I'm a Georgia guy, so of course I've got my own. Yeah. 
all the Alabama jokes, but yeah, Tennessee is smart. I mean, the way that fandom is, and I don't even know want to say that the way that fandom is managed, but you know, making it possible that they could drag the goalpost <laughs> into the the river, the choreography with the equipment guy, sort of you know acting out little skits with the dancers. Mm-hmm. The relentlessness of the Rocky Top song whenever they, you know, whenever they score. And so to do a hype video with the equipment guys, you know, and we talk a lot about this notion of Phantom and the 12th guy. Tennessee's got the 12th guy, the 13th guy, the 14th guy. They got a dog there that they're all, that they all love. Tennessee, whoever's doing fandom management or running marketing for the Tennessee Athletic Department you know, well done. Bravo. Definitely winning. Bravo. Yeah, I still get emails from their athletic department because I went to one Tennessee game <laughs> as an away fan <laughs> like five years ago. So I stay in the loop on all things Tennessee. You know, again, a fan base that has momentum, a, a team that's got momentum, although they've lost a lot of key pieces. So we'll see. I think this year's a year where we find out for that team if they were a one-hit wonder last year or if they're you know, this new coach and is able to continue his success with different sets of players. And I'll I'll just say this, like, I know they're counting down the days. They got smacked by Georgia last year. I know they're counting down the days already to the Georgia-Tennessee game in Knoxville. I hope to be there. I'm planning on going. I'm sure ticket prices will be astronomical for that one. But that's another one where if Tennessee wins that football game, fully expect to see more field goals in the goalpost. They're going to have a graveyard of goalposts if they can keep knocking off top five teams at in Knoxville. I'm not hoping for that outcome, of course. I'd like to see, you know, of course, a, a different outcome. But nonetheless, yeah, it's that's probably the most hyped up game of the season already. All I can hope is that they are leaving the goalposts in the river and almost, fill, you know, building some kind of catfish habitat there <laughs> for them to go noodling, you know, at halftime. Okay, we'll wrap it here. As always, our online home is at www.fandomanalytics.com. There's three W's. <laughs>